I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Nice. What do you think? I like it. Yeah. It's like a real studio. Well, it doesn't have a grand piano or uh, no, no, but it, it's the like... scent of Anna Maria Tremonti. Oh, I know. How That's, I miss it so. That is disappointing. But it has a very intimidatingly large microphone. Yes. I think uh, the tech guys at CBC used to call this the donkey dick. <laughs> I will pretend not to be feel less of a man. Yeah. This giant dick in my face. Jeff Siskin makes reality TV. Specifically, he is the showrunner, the head producer of Storage Wars Canada. But before that, Jeff Siskin was the executive producer of a public radio show called Search Engine. He was the guy I made that show with. I've known Jeff for a long time. I like him a lot. His career is really interesting and varied. He has a background in documentary and in interactive digital storytelling. I don't know a lot about what he's up to these days. I was curious to hear more. We had, I think, a very interesting and surprising chat. I think you're going to enjoy it, and that's coming up in a minute. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity. And they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. CanadaLand is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Cloud accounting, painless billing, make your life easier. If you have a small business... If you are a small business, use this thing. Check it out, freshbooks.com. This is weird. I don't know how many interviews you produced where I was talking to somebody else. Yeah. But I don't think I ever spoke to you. (laughs) There you go. Well, first time for everything. Yeah. Are you recording now? Uh, I am. We won't, you know, all that other stuff we said before. All shit talking. (laughs) That shit talking I will cut. But this shit talking. This shit talking uh, I may or may not cut. Excellent. It's funny, like at CBC, we just like go to all these lengths to create this like hermetically sealed, airtight, perfect space pod where no extraneous sound can happen. But it's the moment in the podcast or in the interview where someone's like, wait a second, I got to scratch my ass. And then yeah. you just like hear them get up off their chair and you're like, I got to hear this. Yeah, no, I, I scratched my ass before coming in. Well, because you're a professional. <laughs> professional, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good on that front. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to talk about reality TV yes. and, and your role in it and your thoughts about it, but we should back up. You went to the Canadian Film Center. Yes. I did, I did the um, – this was before the – was it before? It was somewhere right around the sort of dot-com bubbleverse just before. And this was when the idea of like new media – and I can do little air quotes – Yeah, was kind of – you know, it was the next big thing. You know, broadband was going to be the next big thing you yeah. know, before YouTube. So I think probably the ego part of me wanted to go to the Canadian Film Center. But I sort of figured, well, I can't really get in because I haven't really – you know, the only film I made is this weird little black and white film that doesn't make any sense. So I figured, well, I could, the interactive program, you know, seems cool. And so I did that. And like at that point, there was really no vehicle for the stuff we were making. So it was totally cool. Like you were, we were physically in the barn. Uh, yeah. I think where there was some, some amazing racehorse. I know nothing about racehorses, but it was like, I don't know, old chariot or something. Some, some racehorse lived in that barn, but physically we're in the barn. We should tell you the CFC is on uh, the grounds of an old farm. Yeah, with the Winfields yeah. estate or something. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's this amazing opulence that doesn't exist in Toronto anymore. Yeah. And so it was so cool. We were just in this thing for six months, and you were there with, you know, lawyers and actors and, you know, musicians and journalists, and, and nobody was technically minded. But the thing is, you have six months, uh, get into a group, and uh, make something cool that doesn't exist before. 
So I started in that I, I teamed up with some people and made interactive documentaries. And there was these first person documentaries where you sort of were the main character. Yeah. And we came up with this thing where you really weren't manipulating the story, but you thought you were. Huh. So the one we did, it was based on Carl Linda, the tightrope walker. He died when he was, I think, in his 70s or 80s. But before that, he did this seven-person pyramid that he'd do with his whole family. And it was four people on the bottom, two people above that, and one person sitting on a chair on the top. Okay. And this was the most fantastic thing in the world. They would walk across the high wire with no net. And they did this for years, dazzling people, until one day the whole thing fell, killed two of his family members, paralyzed his son. And so we took the idea that sort of poetically that he pushed himself, he killed himself uh-huh. on the wire that day. So you sort of were Carl Walinda walking across the wire and there was this little like first person shooter, like a Twitch game where you were controlling his balancing. Right. And then the weight of history comes and, you know, you, you're seeing your past and eventually you can't control the game anymore. We take control away slowly over the game and we push you off the wire. So you're, 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 right. so you're experiencing what you think he was experiencing. So and it, would you play this and say and think to yourself, I got to try that again. It's a video game and yeah. I, I can beat it next time. Yeah. And it's the, a very frustrating video game. Oh, very frustrating. But the best – we did well with it, like not financially, but we, we took it to a bunch of festivals and we had D.A. Pennebaker uh, play it at South by Southwest. D.A. Pennebaker, the famous Pennebaker. documentary, did the Bob Dylan Don't Look Back documentary. Exactly. Wow. Because uh, I think someone was like um, – I think it was Ron Mann was at this this another filmmaker and he was like, yeah, I was just with Pennebaker. And we were like, what? So we went and we got him and we got him to play it. And, you know, there he was and he, you know, didn't seem like – I'm not sure he had done a lot of interactive stuff at that point. But he was sweating and he was doing it. And he was playing it on this big screen. And at the end of it, he's like, you know, it it, it works. I, I have no idea why, but it works. Yeah. And we were like, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing where, you know, you said before with some derision, oh, broadband was supposed to be the next big thing. Of course it was. Yeah. Right? I mean, everyone was right about that. But the whole new media, interactivity, all that hype and all of the money that was funneled into things like that, no one knew exactly where it was going really no. to succeed. Well, and we had – with that, um, I, I formed a business with a couple of people from yeah. the film center. And from that one prototype we did, the Walinda thing, we – Met the people from there's a uh, R and D company that Microsoft was funding who was traveling around the world looking for the next big thing because at that point Xbox was going to become a television network called the Xbox Network or something and they right. they wanted to compete with Nielsen ratings they wanted to compete with Law and Order or whatever the shows were of the day so they were looking for sophisticated entertainment that would run through your Xbox and plug in through an Ethernet cord to the internet. Yeah. So they actually funded us to do a second project uh-huh. and funded us, you know, quite well. And it never went anywhere because that idea of the Xbox network never went anywhere. But there was – it was kind of cool where everyone was just like, we're, you know, you sat through a bunch of meetings. I think in that year I sat through maybe three meetings where someone would lean over and say, we're going to get in the history books together, Jeffrey. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're like, well, or probably not. But. What's ironic is that after, you know, being this pioneering generation of, of digital storytellers, you you went and did radio. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. So we'll skip Search Engine because okay. like that's, uh, you know, it, it, well, maybe that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, but not to, not to, you know, butter your bread. If still, that was one of the most fun jobs I ever had. That if was, not, if not the most fun job. Like that was, it really felt that whole year we ran a political campaign. And I don't know what we were running for, but it was, <laughs> it was like, it was, it was really like. You know, who let these hooligans loose in the newsroom? I'll be honest. Like, it was kind of the most fun I ever had. Uh, it was the best 
like creative partnership I've had. It's too soon, man. The good guys lost that one. Yeah, okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, well, no, no, I'm, I'm actually ready to talk about it. And like, I think that there's stuff that, uh, you know, some people listening now are probably search engine listeners, former search engine listeners who are curious what was happening. And we still don't really know why it was yeah. canceled when it was outperforming uh, that other show and why it was doing so well and winning awards. We don't know the backstory, but we, there's a lot, there's, there is an untold story there. Yes. At some point in the 25 year retrospective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but let's, let's move forward to like what happened next life after CBC for you was it's, it's sort of funny, isn't it? To be doing reality shows after doing CBC, like talking earlier about the validation, the stamp of authority, your mom and dad are so proud yeah. when you're on CBC, nothing gets sneered at worse than reality shows. Like it, it's, it's amazing how like the eye rolling, like first television, oh, uh-huh. God, you work in television, you work in reality television, you know, and then, you know, the worst critics of that are people who will talk, you know, reality television, you know, there's nothing real about that, which is like, first of all, I was like, that's a great argument. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then second of all, that's usually followed by like, I don't even own a TV. So it's like, yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched it? Let's, you know. Yeah. I'm fascinated with reality TV. Watching your show today, there's like this simplicity to Storage Wars distilling what is TV about? It's about what's in there. Find out when we come back. I got to stick around to find yeah, out. They're sort of like, I, I, I'm a slightly snobbish around the shows I work on, which you wouldn't necessarily know from my resume. But, but like, there's something like Storage Wars in particular. Like, I don't watch a ton of this stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't have cable either. But, but one of the, but I do watch a lot of TV. But one of the times I do get cable is the once a year I go to the YMCA and I actually go on the treadmill. Yeah. And then I just like it's a steady diet of like of crap shows. And and I would always watch Storage Wars, and it would always keep me on the treadmill for the half hour because I needed to see what that little golden cow was worth that Barry found in the locker. Yeah. And there's something like it. it it's in terms of a formatted show. I kind of think it's a perfect format because it, yeah. it's like it's like it's it's kind of bulletproof in a way, and it's you, and it's really fun to make because we can just take this really bulletproof format and play with it. Yeah. You've got a cast of characters, and everybody's got their role. They each sort of state at the beginning of the episode what their goal is for that episode. Like, yeah. well, what I want today is I want I want something from a man cave yeah. or and who's who. And and then that you got like little interpersonal conflicts which are just like very clearly, and this is no insult to you, very clearly engineered interpersonal conflicts. It feels like there's just something, a common thread that that you'll see throughout all kinds of TV, but you're just more honest about it. Like which grocery item is being recalled? Find out when we come back from the break. You, yeah. you know, like just, you've got to have a payoff quickly, you know, but then you've got to set up the next mystery and, and payoff. Just these constant reveals. Yeah, and, and, just, and just keeps you, you know, basically just keeps, the whole show is designed to keep you watching through the commercial break. Right. And which is kind of what's brilliant about it. Yeah. And, and it, it's, and I work with some incredible editors and story editors, and it's amazing because I'll sit there in screenings, and pretty well every – even if I've seen an episode 15 times, when that locker door comes down and it cuts to a commercial break as they're opening the box, oh, my God. Yeah. Every time I go, what? Yeah. And it's it like – it started kind of as a joke, and now – but now I just do it. Right. What's in it, there? Yeah, what's in what's there? In there? <laughs> I know. Even yeah. though I know what's in there. Like it, it – it's, it's, and it's fun to do. manipulation, but like it, it's uh, – you know, and this is the conversation that I really want to have. I'm really interested in this question of uh, – what's real and how you mediate that and, and manipulate that. And there are things that you do on the shows that you make that every newscast, first of all, they do what you do with the casting, right? Yeah. They could call any of five different experts on a, on a particular issue, or if they're doing streeters, they could just like randomly pick the first person. No, they're making decisions. They're casting characters. They want people who are going to be good talkers and who are telegenic and who have, you know, who read on TV. And then they like, 
you know, I've, I've been on the receiving end of this. Like, you know, can you just pretend to be reading your books in your library for a minute? Yeah. You know, can you pretend to be, uh, can you pretend to be typing at your computer as or, they. Or, or it's the great like half sentence. And according to Jesse Brown, I do not like anything else. And it's like, like three words they've <laughs> right, taken right, from, right, a, from right. a 10 minute interview out of con- Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a million decisions that happen in that way that are about just inventing or mediating a story or massaging a story for the news. And then there's like little professional allowances like, well, it's okay to do that, but it's not okay to do that. Yeah. And there's these arbitrary things that the viewer has no chance at all of discerning, you know, what is kosher and what isn't. And what you end up with is, is the news. You are free of those bounds completely. Like you can, you can cross whatever line you want. Right. Yeah. And we're like, we're making a TV show. At the end of the day, yeah, like we're not curing cancer and we're not we're not pretending to be journalists, right? Um, you know, having said that, you know, I don't know if we'll get into this at some point. We'll get into it now, but it, it it has all to do with the casting. And I think you know, even in terms of how they cast news, like if you cast interesting people um, and you put them in like a, you know, some kind of pressure cooker situation, like interesting stuff will happen. And the true manipulation, if there is, it, it's in the editing, it, and it's how do we take. You know, because we shoot gobs and gobs and gobs of stuff. Yeah. How do we just take this and shape this into a very simplistic story? You know, probably the best job in reality TV is to be a story editor, which is the person who watches all the footage. They kind of get the director's notes of what the show, you know, should be structurally. And then they watch every single frame of it. And they're the person who's, who actually has it all in their head and figures out, okay, here's all the clay. How am I going to make this sculpture? Maybe, maybe sculpture sounds like art, but how am I going to make this thing look like something I want? Yeah. And how am I going to, you know, manipulate it however I want to make it look like a thing? How far can you go with that? Like, have you ever been like, ah, oh, this isn't working. Let's start from scratch and make that guy a villain. Uh, well, it's not usually as simplistic as that. Yeah. Like in general, you know, probably if certainly the shows I work on, I don't like to manipulate to that thing. I don't like to turn a good guy into a villain. In generally, people are cast on the shows because they're interesting people. And so the idea is that can you sort of essentialize that character? And can, can you kind of simplify that character into, you know, one or two notes? Are they in on it? I mean, they're in on it, right? Like they know I'm the bad guy or I'm the this and then, and then they ham it up. Yeah, certainly on a show like Storage Wars they are. Was it an intentional nod to the history of reality shows that you had a character on the first episode say, I'm not here to make friends? Uh, like the cast we have are great. Yeah. And they're, and they're like they kind of are who they are. And all we do is just put them, you know, basically we tell them to go to these storage auctions and they – like we did our casting by going to storage auctions and seeing these people. And what was interesting is that at these storage auctions, there used to be three liquidators that would go. And so they were all buddies with each other and they'd be like, okay, that one, you know, you want that one. That's going to be three bucks. I'm not going to bid on that one. I'll let you get that one. And then the show happened in California and it became huge because everyone suddenly thought, you know, there were bars of gold inside each locker. So suddenly 150 people were showing up. So when, when we landed on the scene, before the show was announced, you know, before I even took the gig, I just started going to these things. And I noticed that the crowd had sort of self-selected who were the main characters and who were the extras. And the main characters, they would sit right in the middle, right in front of the locker, right in front of the auctioneer. And we cast some of them, like Cindy, who we cast, was amazing. I, she, when she wanted something, she would just kind of sit there and she would stare you down. And if you bid against her, you know, you were in trouble. You know, Roy, who was the guy who that said that line you were talking about, I'm not here to make friends. He would show up at the auction in gold teeth and a mullet wig, like just to fuck around with people. You are kidding I'm me. That kidding. is fascinating. I know. And, but, and, then, and then the other crowd seemed to accept the fact that they were extras. Right. 
So what you're saying essentially is that they were already performing a reality show before you arrived. There just was no one there to put it on television. Yeah. And, and they were performing that reality show because of a reality show. Like if you came there to do a journalistic report on what was happening there, you would see a bunch of people acting out what they saw on, on Storage Wars well, USA. And, and, and so when we first started going, like – I wasn't sure – you're never sure when you take something like this, like, you know, okay, how much is manipulation and, you know, how much is real. It was quite amazing to go there and it was very entertaining just to watch this storage auction in Scarborough yeah. take place. You know, back when Survivor first started or the real world first started the MTV show, nobody had a reference point. Where now they've watched every episode. Yeah. Like everyone who's on Storage Wars has probably watched every episode of the California, Texas, and the New York one. I mean, you feel that when you watch these shows. Like when you, when I remember what, when Jersey Shore, you know, it was like, no, no, this one you got to watch. And when the Snooky character comes on, I'm just like, this is a person who has decided to be the breakout character. Yeah. It just makes our jobs a lot easier because we don't have to manipulate. Yeah. And, and, and people also, I think they know what's expected of them. You know, and in some ways, Probably our jobs are just to rein it in a little bit. Yeah. So it just so it doesn't if it doesn't seem real, it doesn't work. And yeah. so probably in the editing, a lot of the stuff we cut out is just the stuff that doesn't doesn't feel right. Do you consider the cast like your coworkers? Like you showing up for work, they're showing up for work. Yeah. 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 It's it's a total collaboration. And like you're you're make you're they're yeah, they're your actors and you're the director. Yeah, and and and, and yeah, and I and I sit and, and we chat and, and it's totally it's totally equals. Huh. I guess who cares, right? Like, yeah. Well, if, and, and certainly, if you like watching it, if it's good to watch, then, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I probably did some shows in my past, which were much more manipulative. Uh, and in truth is it actually kind of made me physically sick because it was – you're kind of taking advantage of people in a not very good way. Uh-huh. And so uh, I kind of decided around that point that, that I, was, I wasn't going to do that anymore. By which you mean rather than change who they are in the editing room – or manipulate some weird situation that they have no control over, just ask them. Well, yeah, just be honest with them about what's going on. Like, we need you to be this today, or, or, or you know, we're not getting enough of this from you today. Yeah, exactly, and just just let them know, you know, so you're not you're not trying to trick them into doing anything. Yeah. You're just, you're just you know, you're letting them, you know, what, what I'm seeing, you know, in the edit suite is that you're coming off as, as X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's not who you are. Yeah. Especially because people, you know, because they've watched all these reality shows, you know, people will try and be the villain or they'll try and be the goof. So you're like directing them. You're like, you know, like you're going for villain, but you're coming off as just a yeah. fool. We need you to be more of a villain. It's mainly just trying to get people to be themselves and what you like about them. Right. Like the worst is when people try and be funny. Like it, it, in some ways that's yeah. that's the killer because it's just like, no, just just be yourself. It's a funny thing for a guy like you who's sort of like classically trained in documentary film and D.A. Pennebaker and, <laughs> and uh, you've made docs before. I mean, uh, you know, you made tons of radio docs, but you've made – film documentaries and I think you got a lot of reverence for the form of documentary film and in some circles this is like anathema this is like the the yeah. the, the enemy of but but in if you look around at who's making reality shows there's a lot of really really talented documentary filmmakers right. making reality shows and it's just because certainly in Canada you can't make documentaries anymore yeah like it, it's like probably if I could do whatever I wanted to in the world kind of getting back to our earlier thing I'd be making feature documentaries but there's just you just can't do that anymore. Why? Tell me about that. Oh, just you can't get them made anymore. Like, I mean, why? I mean, you can make feature films in, in Canada. They're not making money either. So well, you can't even get, but at least like feature films, you can get funded in, in a micro. We should sense. say scripted films. Yeah, scripted maybe. films. Um, but feature documentaries, it's just like occasionally you can, but it, it's the amount that get made in this country are just, they're very few. So people that used to, to do, you know, one a year, you know, they're lucky if they do one every three or four years. Why is that when you consider that 
making a feature comedy or a feature drama or, God forbid, a blockbuster, those are things that we don't do very well and that you need a lot of money to do well. Documentary, you need smart people to do. And Canada has a seminal pioneering role in the history of documentary film. It seems like that's something that like, well, if you're working with what you got and you want to do stuff that's really, you know, at the top of the game worldwide, let's focus on documentary film. Like, yeah. what, I don't know why, but there was just the thing that happened, you know, a few years ago where one by one, the major networks started dropping their flagship documentary shows. So, and though that was basically the bread and butter is you would get a commission on, you know, whatever CBC show showed docs and you'd do the hour long version for them. And then you'd also cut a feature length version and that's how you would kind of get it. Right. And then, and once those shows started drawing up, like yeah. there was nowhere to show them anymore and there was nowhere to, to fund them. Yeah. What's interesting is when I when I was sort of in that game many years ago, there were some documentarians I kind of looked up to. And what's interesting is a bunch of them are now working in reality. Yeah. And so you have these like really, really great storytellers. Who are you talking about? I don't want to name names. Uh, is it a secret that they're working in reality too? No, because I don't know. I You know, sometimes people feel they're slumming it. So I don't want to be. All right. Are they, yeah. are they credited? Yeah. So you can say who they I'm are. I'm not going to say who they are. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, because now it seems like I'm talking down to them. But you're saying that they're great documentary filmmakers yeah. who are now making reality TV shows. Yeah. And I may could... have also overstated they're being great documentary filmmakers. Oh, all right. We'll move on. But anyway, on. they're documentary filmmakers. Too. But it, it's, it's like I would say probably 60 to 70 percent of people working in, in reality are people that have either come from the documentary thing or would rather be doing feature documentaries. So let's talk about what's going on behind the scenes. I have some questions about the idea that, like, these networks have to make Canadian shows. It's a tricky question for me because I know there's, it's controversial amongst actors and people like that who are saying, like, well, of what possible cultural benefit of, is this? this that whole, the whole idea of forcing these networks to make Canadian shows is we're going to protect Canadian culture. How is making a Canadian version of an American reality show – legitimately Canadian culture. Yeah. Though it's also, I guess the other argument is, it's, is it's protecting Canadian industry, which it definitely is doing. Sure. It's and, doing and, that. and the reality industry is doing very well because of that. Yeah. And the television industry is doing very well because of that. Right. And, and asking you to, to, to be critical of that is to criticize that, which is creating an industry that you are employed. Well, exactly. With. And, and, and feeds my family. But like, like, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, like it's some, the whole Canadian content thing, like, you know, I remember, uh, I, I worked, uh, at one point for a company that did scripted television and at one, and, and I think, I don't know who it was, who the Canadian content police are, but at some point they were going through scripts and they were deciding whether the show was Canadian or not. And so as a little intern, my job was to go through the script and every time I could in the descriptions, not in the dialogue, but the stuff between the dialogue was to put, if it was like exterior house day, I was to put exterior house on Markham street day and just anything I could put in the descriptions to, and it was just told, I was told by my boss, put Canadian flags all over this thing. But that's part of that. That's part of that hustle is, is like he's eating. No, he's eating a donut at Tim Hortons. Exactly. That's hilarious. Exactly. And so I don't know. Content is content. Like I don't, I guess your show is called Canada land. So I guess by virtue of that, it's Canadian content. I qualify though. No one's one's asking me to make a Canadian show. And in fact, you probably have a lot better potential of success if it uh, could appeal to a larger audience than that. But I would have an easier time buying the argument that scripted TV is real Canadian culture. And this is just some, you know, loophole that these broadcasters have found that allows them to make shows on the cheap and do better. So why, why if the scripted shows were any good, if the scripted shows were good and felt like, yeah, that's actually a part of my culture, Heartland and Arctic air and whatever, like that's the real stuff. If those don't connect and they don't feel like they have anything to do 
with Canadian life or, or yeah. you know. Well, it becomes a weird thing. And, and certainly, you know, not only do I obsessively check ratings, but I obsessively check Twitter. I don't participate at all, but I, I, I'm constantly like, what are people saying about Storage Wars Canada? And the big joke is like, hey, what are they going to find in the lockers? Timmy cups and hockey sticks? And that's something we've thought about is, is how do we make the show Canadian? But at the end, it's Canadians. They're totally Canadian. Yeah, and they're kind of, and you haven't seen them before, and everyone is carrying a Tim Hortons cup just by virtue of where we're shooting. Because <laughs> well, they're hosers. So do you think it's Canadian? Did, did, oh my did they succeed? God. Okay. When I watch, okay, so yeah. I, I've never seen the show before today, and I, yeah. I wanted to contrast them. So I watched uh, Storage Wars Texas, and I watched uh, Storage Wars Canada. And Storage Wars Texas was a bunch of like yeah. Texas stereotypes who were like outsized, exaggerated Texan characters. And your show were like, there was like a mullet head. Like, I've seen these characters before. They are real people. They live on the outskirts of Canadian urban life. They are unmistakably Canadian white people. What at the end of the day, like I'm proud of the cast only because I don't see these people on television at all. And it's good to know that that's somehow. Yeah, you are representing. Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and kind Canada. of. <laughs> yeah, they're not trying to be Americans. They yeah. are Canadians. Yeah. Have you seen Duck Dynasty? I, I, okay, I, you should watch it. It's fascinating. Huh. So and it's it's kind of where I think the medium is going. And it, it's it's a – I think. I've never talked to people that made it. It's a it's a scripted show done with non-professionals. The question is whether it's, it's legitimate or not. doesn't even ask because it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like and it's just – it's not real and it's not scripted. It's just this whole other thing. There's this weird place where this like completely populist and, you know, arguably trashy medium is like verging on the avant-garde, you know? I hope that's not wankery. Like that Nathan For You show, oh, what is going on there? That's I know. like well, – That's I, the kind of show I want to make. Yeah, it just strikes this – like it's a parody of television itself – but then it sort of like messes with the reality. Then it'll actually introduce a meme. And you know, I'm having trouble explaining it. It's sort of like everybody should go watch Nathan for you. Yeah. Um, that's a Canadian guy actually. Oh my God. I just did that. Well, there you go. Um, There's no hope for you. I, I keep imagining this reality show. The conceit of it is simply that the people um, want to get on a reality show. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> most reality shows. <laughs> 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 and you're seeing them audition against each other. And like, here's the room where we're casting the bad guy and there's four of them. And they're like, I hate that bitch. Yeah. You know, like one of the, one of the really neat things right now because of YouTube is if you type in the name of any reality show, even if, if reality shows don't ask for it, everybody is posting audition videos. And so like, even with storage wars, Canada, you can see people that just uploaded audition videos for storage wars. And so, and there's something endlessly funny and even a little bit kind of degrading about these videos. And I think like that show, yeah, it really hasn't been made yet. Like, right. Yeah. Pull the YouTube clips. Yeah. Or just, or something like, you know, of just someone desperately trying to get on the reality show. I didn't come here to make friends. No, I didn't come here to make <laughs> exactly. friends. Exactly. Thanks, man. Pleasure. Uh, so it's like two days since we last spoke here. Yeah. You wanted to come back. So, and- so here's the deal. I know I wrote you yesterday. I had a weird feeling leaving here. And right. I think it's because I've spent most of my life like on the other side of the camera, on the other side of the mic. Uh, and I've actually produced you before. Um, and so I left feeling like, eh, meh, you know, it was okay, but like, what the fuck was it? And it, it felt like, okay, so if I was, and I can't, like, I think I just can't be comfortable sitting here. So I was thinking now a bunch of things. First of all, you know, we had a really nice chat about my, you know, rise to wherever I am. And for the big thought is like, who the fuck cares about that? I'm just like some producer. Uh, you know, part of me felt like Dustin Hoffman and Wag the Dog was like, I want credit. I want credit. But it's not like that's not what's interesting. And and 
when I first started in reality television, one of my mentors, uh, I was watching uh, the scene unfold and it was like, you know, I can't even describe it, but it was, it was a very painful thing was happening on camera. And, and my mentor, he turned to me and says, if it looks painful, it means it's good TV. And, and so it, it, immediately that's what I sort of grasped onto is that's what makes reality TV so compelling. It's, it's simplistic and there's conflict and it, it tells a really simple story. And it does it really, really well. It wasn't painful enough for you when we spoke last. It wasn't painful at all. It right. was, it was, it was nice, and I enjoyed it. But what I also thought was interesting was, you know, I, I've sat on the other side of the mic from you for years, or through the headphones, or whatever a producer does, uh, and I know, I think you can do better. That's why I have, you know, I have some mental notes for you if you're willing to accept it. I, I think, I think you kind of, it was softball. And it was nice. You think I gave you a softball I interview? I think you gave me a softball interview. I, I think did. I think, you know, which was very nice and I appreciated it. What I think was interesting is you mixed it in with alcohol, which is a classic reality show trick. I had a nice mug here on my desk and you kept filling it with whiskey, which and of course was going through my mind is oh, he's trying to get me liquored up so he can, you know, so I'll say something goofy. Uh, and so, of course, I'm producing myself, and I'm, I'm, I had a tea right beside me. You were waiting for me to try to explain. I, I was waiting for the or moment, the ambush or... and it never happened. Yeah. And, and you know, and I've heard many interviews, and I've produced many interviews. And one of my absolute favorite things you do is minister. Uh, you know, I know lots of people uh, accuse you of having sex with animals. I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about, and it's brilliant because you put it on the table and you never give the person a chance to respond. <laughs> That sounds awful. It sounds awful, but I think it's great. It's, yeah. it's the Jesse Brown way. Oh, uh, I sound like a, a terrible gutter journalist. Yeah, but people get browned because of that. <laughs> I think you have you have your own thing. So I guess I guess I what, would say that that gives them the choice as to whether to respond or not, without me ambushing them. It's like, look, let's just admit no, they that, don't, that they don't have the choice. Admit, let's let's let, admit that that's fact, but let, that's not what I want to talk about. Let's not pretend that we live in a world where that isn't an accusation that you have intercourse with farm animals. But I'll <laughs> leave it up to you as to whether or not you want to actually uh, regard that or not. By yeah. the way, if 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 you feel that uh, this needs to be uncomfortable for it to be good. Uh, bingo, we're, we're there. There you go. And I think, I think, I think it really does. And I think, you know, as you launch this new show, I think there's, you know, you're, I know you're a highbrow journalist, but there's probably a lot of things that you could actually learn from reality television because it's so popular. And I, and I began thinking years ago, I used to go to the South by Southwest interactive festival. And at one point there was a panel. It was, you know, what can, you know, this was when it was still new media, what can new media learn from the porn industry? So they had a bunch of new media people and a bunch of porn website people and at one point they decided let's flip it on its head and they asked the porn people they're like what can you learn from the new media industry and they were like nothing you know we're we're very successful you are the guys who can't figure out how to monetize this thing right and so you know certainly in canada you know reality television is really the only game in town where there is an audience for it and it's actually doing well so i guess i guess i would encourage you know, you, as you're entering this new show, you know, what can, there's, reality TV is successful for a reason. And a big part of it is that it, it pushes the envelope and it's, it's kind of honest about being dishonest Yeah. in a way you're still going to edit your show, but your show will seem seamless. And so the audience will actually have no idea that the conversation didn't happen exactly that way. I take your point that I could learn something from reality TV and I should lean in to, uh, to making things uncomfortable when necessary, but specifically how did I softball you? Like, what could I have I have asked that I didn't? I don't know. Like the, the what would the ambush have been? Well, I, like I'll, I'll tell you the ambush I get all the time, which I'm bored of, and I think we may have even talked a little bit about it. Is like, is what you do fake? Is reality TV real at all? But I know that it isn't. I'm not interested in that question. Yeah, but that, but that's the kind of ambush I'll bet you people listening because I get asked that like constantly. That's what people want to hear. That, it's crude and it's simplistic. 
But that's what sells. That's not the uncomfortable question that I was avoiding asking you. <laughs> See, this is it. I'm about to be browned. <laughs> I was avoiding suggesting in any way, and not just because we're friends, but because I have a lot of respect for you and I don't know that I'm right. And I don't want to like judge or bum you out. But the fact that a guy as talented as you who made documentaries that changed the way D.A. Pennebaker thought about documentaries and who was passionate and engaged with that and who, by your own admission in that interview, that's what you'd be doing if you could. It kind of bums me out that you're running Storage Wars Canada and not doing that. Yeah. And, and honestly, there are probably times it bums me out too. But at the same time, you know, I can go home and I can hang out with my kids. I know. And that's awesome. And, and I can tell stories. And it doesn't, you know... It, what I love doing is telling stories and whether it's people finding stuff in storage lockers or or some bigger – I don't – I'm never going to tell a bigger political story. But some some other deeply personal story, on some levels, you know, I have the chance to tell stories and I actually get paid to do it. Well, and this is why I didn't want to like confront you with this because I, I, I feel like – I feel like you've solved something that I have not. I feel like you have, have a much more reconciled and less fraught and tortured relationship with your career than I do with mine. And I, I think that you have the healthiest attitude, which is like, hey, you know, if I get a chance to do that again, I'll do it again. If this is the way I'm going to make money, this is the way I'm going to make money, this doesn't define me. I'll, I'll make the best of whatever's on offer. And not sort of bothering with like, what is wrong with this world that I can't make the things that I need to make and want to make? That's not where you get your juice. And you seem to take a lot of solace in the fact that no matter what, you get to tell stories and work in a creative field. I think that's a very healthy attitude. And yet it still leaves me feeling like, is not is that not itself a Canadian problem, a complacency? Whereas you should be angrier about the fact that not just you, but Canadian documentary filmmaking itself has been decimated. And all these guys from documentary films are now making reality shows where, where they would rather be making documentary films. And this is where I also was hesitant to confront you or ambush you because it's also like I'm totally just projecting my own issues because like really I think you and I should still be making Search Engine is what, yeah. is what it should well, be. And I would agree with that. But I, there's nothing to stop me from still doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I took a course this summer with Linda Berry who taught a writing course. And one of the things she encouraged us to do, which I thought was quite bizarrely revolutionary for me, is if you look at how a kid – looks at a piece of paper, they look at a piece of paper as an experience. And so they'll sit and they'll play, you know, pew, pew, okay, this guy comes and he shoots this and he shoots this. And by the end of that half an hour, that piece of paper is a mess and it goes in the garbage. Whereas an adult, you know, they'll, they'll do a drawing on a piece of paper and then they'll, they'll, oh my God, am I a genius? Like, is this, you know, what do I do with it? And J judge it for they'll me. They'll judge it. Yeah. And, you know, is it great? Is it not? And, and, you know, I could still, to get that out of me, I could still make a documentary. I have the tools. I have... You know, you, I have an iPhone where I can shoot beautiful video. Like I could, I could do, I could do those various things, which would, for the sake of doing them, mm -hmm. which would be great. You know, I've also accepted that. You know, I'm not because I'm lazy and I like watching Breaking Bad. Yeah, and we're grown ups. We don't work for free anymore. Exactly, exactly. But I guess I could. But you know, I don't know. I take your point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that I have a point. Yeah. I, I, I think I just sort of have a. Like a quandary, a problem. Like I think I just sort of have uh, a, a sense of dissatisfaction and a desire for people to feel as shitty about it as I do. Yeah, and then and then so what? Like, you know, on on the outside level, and then, and I do have this thing, and I have this with my wife all the time, where I'm, you know, I have a very short attention span. So right now, you know, Storage Wars is 36 episodes long for the first season, uh, and we're midway through, and already I'm thinking like, oh, you know, 
I want to start thinking about something else. I want to start doing something else. And then it's like, what a, what a first world problem to have. You know, my grandparents, after escaping the Holocaust, had to escape Hungary and came here and, and were caretakers. Like, that's a shitty job. This is the moment that I was avoiding. This is like I'm sitting next to a guy. I'm, I'm sitting across from somebody. Yeah, see, I could use the Holocaust in that sense. <laughs> There's no argument you can do now. This is what I was trying to avoid is you are running one of the more successful television shows in Canada right now. You're renoing your basement. You live in a nicer house than I do. And you're sitting here because I've put you in a position where you got to be like explaining how it's come to this. It's not bad at all. It's very, very good. Yeah. It's it's just – it's not what it could be, you yeah. know? And it's it's not it's not what you would have chosen. Totally. But it's kind of awesome. Like, you know, I only entered this thing because I got a call uh, – I had a new media company and then I got a call when that was kind of winding down from someone who was casting the season of Canada's Worst Driver. And at that point, I was like obsessed with Survivor. And he, he said, hey, you know, I'm looking for someone to help me out doing it. And I thought, well – that sounds kind of awesome. I would love to do that for a couple months, find a cast for a reality show. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to do. It's sort of just snowballed from there. I never have, you know, I've never had in my whole life any grand career plan, much to the detriment probably of my career. But it's been, it, it's kind of, I have a friend that goes by the good time principle. If something seems like a good time, you do it. Yeah, no, quite the opposite. I think if you seize opportunities as they come up and don't have some fixed immutable idea of like, oh, I'll never do that. Like I'm a CBC guy. I'm not going to do reality television. You'll probably A, work more and B, uh, have a more interesting and varied experience. And I think that for my own sake, I have kind of locked into an idea of like the kind of show I want to host or the kind of conversation I think needs to happen. And I'm, I'm like dead set on, on that existing, even but if there's and, and no institutional will anywhere for that. So, to happen. so here's my question to you. Okay. Uh, and I ask myself this question all the time. At the end of the day, who cares? Mm -hmm. Does anyone really care? Like, you know, search engine was great. Canada land is great. But you hear it. Maybe you think about it. Maybe something resonates. But at the end of the day, we're all getting a lot of stuff thrown at us. Yeah. Are you placing too much self-importance on that mission? I'm sure. And it's almost antithetical to the medium itself of radio or of podcasting, which is just ephemeral. It's about something that you do. Week after week, and you hope that it goes somewhere. Yeah, and I and I I get incredibly depressed when a TV show launches because there's just this weird thing where you work so hard and somehow you get so wrapped up in it, and then it goes out there and it airs. And even if you get good ratings and good response, it just sort of feels like, huh? Yeah, like that. That's it. Which just you know the better part of me, which doesn't rear its head all the time, it reminds me of that kind of Linda Berry thing where it really should be just about the doing it. It's about the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I have an awesome team I hang out with, and they're hilarious. <laughs> there, there was no benevolence or regard for you that uh, made me shy away from all this stuff the first time. This was the eventuality that I was afraid of, is, is that like I feel totally vulnerable and exposed. Excellent. Well, see, and, uh, so then I must say, so probably, yeah. I, I will probably still leave here wanting to redo it, but probably this will be more interesting than it would have been. What's your feeling right now? Are you going to, do you think that when you, when you walk out of the building, you're going to be like, mm, still no, or does it feel better now? It feels better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know. There was something there, something real. Okay, that's your Canada Land show. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Let me know who you want to have on this show or what you think I should be talking about. I'm starting to get some really good responses from people. I'm reading all this stuff. I use it to plan what to put on this show. Email me or check me out on Twitter at jessebrown. There's a new video up. Check it out at canadalandshow.com. And the next podcast will be up on Monday. 
If you like this show, recommend it. Actually, you could recommend it on Stitcher.com and you'd be doing me a favor. We are now available on Stitcher.com, which is another way to listen to podcasts. One that I've been enjoying, actually. Once Canada Land gets some good ratings there, then Stitcher starts to recommend it to other people. So I'd like to get that going if you like this show. If you don't like it and yet you're listening to it anyhow for some reason, uh, do not review it on Stitcher.com. Thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open-and-shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.